Hello, everybody. Welcome to New Hemp Times today. This is your co-host, Jan Roberts, Dr. Jan. Uh, I'm here today with my other lovely co-host. Hello. Farmer, former Randy Cameron. Friends, how are you? It's been two weeks, huh? Dude, I think it's been three weeks. Three weeks. And and I have to admit, we're kind of limping along today because Dr. Marku is sick, seriously sick. Like, we literally sent him home from the uh, office the other day with a bad fever on Monday. So he is sick, and Greer Barnes is wrapping up something at Comedy Central right now. So, sorry that you're just stuck with the two of us. However, we However, are... However, we're the good ones. So. And we're the best ones. Exactly. So... <laughs> Enjoy. And we are so excited today because we're going to do something. We've been playing with our, our format a little bit. And today we have someone who um, we're so happy to have here. She's back stateside because this woman travels more than I have ever seen. In more fact, than Jesus. More, almost more than Jesus. But I have to say, I love to watch her Instagram because I'm like, Thailand, India. What? I want her life. Anyway, I would like for us all to welcome hemp enthusiast, wonderful woman, um, goddess herself. This is Sophia Brune, right? Hello, Am I pronouncing yes. it? Hey, Perfect. hey, hey. Thank you guys so much for the warm welcome. Yeah. Honor to be on your podcast. Well, we are so excited about it. And and before we get into the meat of today's um, show, I just wanted to kind of let everybody know that we met, uh, Jehan and I actually met you when we were in China at the hemp conference. We that sure did. Our listeners have heard lots about this Chinese conference that we went to, but we met there and, and it was so fascinating. A, because you have such an incredible calming spirit, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. She really does. And B, you're so into like hemp and you seem to be knowledgeable about all these things. So today I thought it would be great to have you on to kind of let's talk about hemp as far as how it can positively impact our planet. We can, we're going to really talk about that, but also that connectivity maybe that happens with all of us and that we, you know, firmly, I believe that cannabis is an opportunity to really kind of go inside, to look within yourself, to connect to that spirit. And, and we don't talk a lot about that often. We talk about, you know, the medicinal pieces and the uh, psychological pieces, the effects and all, but spirituality is also very much a part of well-being. And yeah. um, I'm CEO or CEO of a uh, wellness um, clinic where we talk about the pillars of well-being, and one of those pillars, pillars is spirituality. So today we have a lot to talk about, and uh, I just want to kind of get started. Cool. Yeah. So, so tell me kind of like real quickly, cause we met in China. What were you doing over in China and, and what made you decide to go to China <laughs> and talk about him? A phone Learn call. Well, no, it was, it's <laughs> all sort of the food. <laughs> the <Yeah. people. laughs> I had no plans to go to China. I, it wasn't on my, it, of course it's on your radar. You can't ignore China. It's 1.4 billion people. Um, right. right. <laughs> but. As far as, you know, I had been in Asia for a while. I was in Southeast Asia, mostly a little bit in India as Mm -hmm. well. And China just felt so big and mysterious. I really never thought I would go there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was originally an English teacher. That's what brought me to Asia initially. 
So you were there with some other people from the state, from the Hemp Industries Association or? Um, well, well, I know that Rick Trojan, who was on our pod, that we did a joint podcast together, you two were touring. Yeah. China so State. I went with Rick down to Yunnan, which was the first uh, legal. Well, it's a bit complicated, but it's the first province in China that has a legislative framework around hemp. Mm-hmm. So uh, by- licensing procedure to cultivate and manufacture hemp. Yunnan uh, first legalized it in 2010 mm-hmm. um, after doing a poverty alleviation program in mm-hmm. 2009 with hemp farming. They went on to actually legitimize that industry through allowing licensed cultivation. And then following that three years later, 2013, actually, they legalized CBD manufacturing. So I've got a question. Yeah. So uh, uh, it was open up to farmers who were struggling growing other products previous to entering the hemp um, farming industry. Sorry. It was- so you, you said there was a, uh, a f- in this area where it became legalized to grow hemp. There were struggling farmers there previously. Yes, it's one of the poorest regions. In the and what? And now, how did that program? How did that work with these farmers um, being able to grow hemp and apply for license? Or do you know? Um, well, I know some, not all the specifics, mm-hmm. but um, it was basically for food was a major component. Um, as well as the fact that in Yunnan, there's a lot of ethnic minorities mm-hmm. and right. hemp. Growing is a big part of their tradition, mm-hmm. um, so so they were already doing it. Okay, so but they weren't licensed through the government, right? Right. So wait, I have a question then. So it was part of their tradition, mm-hmm. like, and, and we need to be very clear here. We're not talking about something with, you know, we think of cannabis and hemp. I mean, it's all hemp in a sense, but mm-hmm. we're not talking about THC-rich varieties. We're talking mm-hmm. about fiber, fiber, mm-hmm. fiber. So. Help me understand what was the cultural framework or was there a cultural framework in that region about hemp? You said that, you know, some of the ethnic minorities, it was kind of part of their culture. So how did it play a role in their culture? Yeah, definitely a part of the diet. Uh-huh. So hemp seeds. Um, and what does hemp seeds do? Because not everybody knows all mm-hmm. about this. Right. So I know you focus more specifically on cannabinoids, but hemp seeds are a superfood. And mm. I know that word is kind of thrown around, mm-hmm. but I can explain that a little bit better. Since we're talking <laughs> about sustainability, this yep. is highly relevant yep. because, you know, you look at Brazil right now, the Amazon is burning and all this stuff about the beef industry and yep. how uh, cow farming Shit is, is polluting. Yeah. And just the, the amount of land that that's needed for yep. the cattle, they are deforesting just mm-hmm. to clear the way for sure. cows. So, um, you know, as far as reducing consumption and finding protein alternatives, um, plant-based alternatives, hemp is a amazing source. It's a complete protein, so it has all nine essential amino acids. Really? Yeah. And so they just use this as part of their diet, use it yeah. in cooking, and, yeah. and and does it have a, I, I know this sounds silly, but does it have like a flavor? Because I know like Sesame seeds. I'm just curious. Yeah, like, what? yeah, it's a really nice. Actually, you can add it to so many things because it's not too strong of a flavor. So you can get it hold or dehold. So the the um, the outer shell that mm-hmm. has that's very high in fiber. So mm-hmm. um, that's nice. That's good for like digestion and that kind of thing. But um, dehold also has a ton of nutrients, essential fatty acids, and um, 
vitamins, minerals. But um, for example, in China, there's this village called Jixi, maybe G I X I. Mm -hmm. I think it is. I don't know uh, exactly, but it's uh, famous for the people living very to very old age. Yep. So uh, they attribute their old age to their diet, which is really? predominantly hemp seed. Yeah. Mm. So it has in this culture like a dietary kind of nutritional mm -hmm, mm -hmm. component. Yeah. And how does it play out in other ways in their culture? Yeah. So clothing, speaking to the fiber yeah. use, yeah. Um, their traditional clothing is made from hemp predominantly. I believe that it was used in bridal ceremonies. Maybe the wedding dress would be made from hemp mm -hmm. um, in some of the traditions, but I can't speak too specifically on that. Oh, that is yeah. so cool. Mm -hmm. So do they, so they use it in their diet, they use it in their clothing and you were down there kind of touring China, looking at it. Um, it you know, what, what did you learn? about it? Oh man, I, the biggest let takeaway from China after going around and visiting the sites was how much I don't know mm. and how hard it is to find the actual answer for what, um, just general information. Like you ask five different people, how many hemp, uh, processing licenses are there? And you get five different answers. Mm. You ask how much hemp is grown in China total and you get, get a answers. huge range of responses. So it's there's no public official public data in China. So just going around as an informational exercise to understand the industry, it's it's not transparent. So it's a uh, it's difficult. So there's lack of transparency mm -hmm. and understanding of what's really happening over there. Yeah. So why is that important, do you think? For us, I mean, is it important for the U.S. or for consumers worldwide? Because believe it or not, we do have listeners all over the world. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. No. I mean, how would like they're getting? My understanding is that in China, they're getting into hemp because they see this as an opportunity to export. Mm. Um, do you see? That's my interpretation. Do you see that the Chinese government is interested in looking at hemp from a different perspective, or simply to export what for CBD? Yeah, like uh -huh. are, are they wanting to build business? Or, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, everyone's getting on the train. That's why we jokingly call this the global cannabis bonanza that we're covering. And part of that is understanding that this huge market, you know, our our whole economic system is starting to embrace something that has since kind of not been acknowledged here. You know, uh, like uh, Chris, um, God, I can never remember his last name, who spoke Conrad. at that. Yep, Conrad, yeah. who spoke at the conference. You know, he and his friends were really pretty much like, they were some of the people who brought him back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I was just curious. Why do you think that China is getting into this now? Well, I see when I first moved there, I was really taken aback by how clean and green it was mm -hmm. because I was in a big city, over 20 million people about um, mm -hmm. Shenzhen is where I moved in. All of the public transportation is electric. There's a bunch of parks, green space in general, and it's very clean and, you know, blue skies. I was just, it, it really went against my expectations. Ever, you know, the picture we're painted of China yeah. is this polluted, yeah. toxic mm -hmm. place. And of course, that's, that's a real concern yes. in a lot of, in a um, lot of the places, yeah. parts. But as far as 
the development now, because it's continuing to develop, um, they're really placing emphasis on uh, green technologies and just environmental concern. So <clears throat> hemp, I see as playing a crucial um, role in this, in their development. Mm-hmm. And uh, from a sustainability yes, perspective? Yes, I think China's really emerging as a world leader in wow. the sustainability movement. They've planted more trees than any country. They amazing? have, the government is it's funding amazing. professional tree planters. Yeah. They're huh. paying people to plant trees because they're dealing with the, they're at the front lines against climate change. So they've got desertification and water pollution. So I think they're really trying to move away from cotton the 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 way the te- hemp textile industry is growing, it's just rapid, and um, I think they're mobilizing for some major shifts that incorporate hemp as a crucial component to this green mm-hmm. revolution. Like even Xi Jinping, he's he's defined green as gold. Mm. So um, and also uh, from a medical perspective, the Made in China twenty twenty five. You know they make their their five year plan, their ten year plan, and. Yeah. Um, you know, China's trying to shift away from basic manufacturing um, to more advanced, you know, information technology and hardware and uh, AI, robotics, you know, all of that stuff. And um, bio um, biotechnology is a big component of mm-hmm. their Made in China 2025. So what's plan. your sense of the government supporting existing farmers that aren't that aren't cultivating hemp right now that might be interested over there or or are there incentives to switch over from existing ag foods that aren't making as much money to introducing them to <coughs> the uh, hemp cultivation it depends which region you're in right for example i spoke about yunnan earlier right. um yunnan is located near the golden triangle, which historically, you know, there was a lot of opium moving through Mm -hmm. that space. So they had a big problem with uh, drug abuse in Mm -hmm. that region. So the government is very wary of uh, cannabis cultivation there because they're a little bit, they have a bit of PTSD, you could say from the whole opium war situation in China. That was a, that hit the country very hard. But then on the total other side of the country in the far northeast, this is the other legal cultivation area, Heilongjiang. That's where the conference was. And the government is very supportive there. So it's much easier to get a cultivation license. Mm -hmm. And um, there are some incentives in place depending. Every locale has their own, you know, um, their own laws. So, you know, there's the, the county and then the... But do individual farmers, to Randy's question, are they allowed to say, hey, I want to grow this? Or do they have to kind of go through councils? Or or how does that work? They do need to get a license Mm -hmm. in those two provinces. However, hemp is actually being grown all over China. So even though it's only legally like, or there's a legal framework in two provinces, hemp is being grown and it has been for a long time all over the country. That was our takeaway. I think we even talked about this Mm -hmm. on one of the shows about how China, it's like there are all these laws, but no one really follows them. Like for us, we were amazed how many people used, um, uh, oh my God. Vaporizers? Uh, (laughs) 
VPNs, oh, you yeah. know, and, and, and obviously a virtual private network oh. so that they could access, oh, you know, uh, Facebook or news sites mm-hmm. that they can't really do. And it's almost like my takeaway was that the government kind of knew, you know, there's no way to regulate that many people. Mm-hmm. I, and, and granted, I am not sitting here saying China's great. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it seems like in this country, there are all these strict rules that people abide by, but they really don't necessarily yeah. abide by a lot of things. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of gray. And I'm, I think that the reason why it was being grown in other places is because the fiber and seed were never technically illegal huh. uh, based on the, I think it was the 1961 narcotics. Uh, what was that called? It's all right. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But the, to answer the second part of your question, hemp is a highly profitable crop in comparison to say corn, sure. soy, and some of the other staples. So I think there's a lot of incentive for farmers. It's just about the lack of awareness and the stigma around the plant. And once people understand that not all, you know, your average Chinese citizen is not going to understand. Mm-hmm. They'll see that leaf. Maybe they won't even know what it is, mm-hmm. but generally even just the shape of the leaf, it's like, oh my gosh. And they equate it's it to opium. It's yeah. actually, you know, I said, I used to teach English. And when I learned about hemp, I was telling all my students about it. And I teach a lot of adults or taught a lot of adults. And they would all be like, oh my gosh, like we, that's like opium. And like, no, no, no. It's also how <laughs> they, how they attacked their drug problem. Because when you kill drug addicts, the way it, yeah. the opium war went down, mm-hmm. I mean, that didn't happen in America with crack and right. the 1970s heroin epidemic. Uh, so there's a fear that was left. And then there's a perception of a communist country that we feel there's a lack of movement and freedom. And apparently from your experience there, there is a certain amount of, uh, yeah, freedom that you wouldn't um, have expected. That we didn't expect. And there's autonomous regions as well. Um, I can't speak too much to the, how it works, but like I had mentioned, there's ethnic minorities mm-hmm. and maybe there's a certain region within a, a, a province that is predominantly that ethnic group. And so they sort of give them their own uh, autonomy. Yes. Can I, can I ask uh, about this is how do we like, does China, are they looking at this more? It, you said that it, they were kind of really interested. They were in the forefront of trying to have a greener economy and really trying to promote sustainability. How much of the hemp that's being grown is really focused on sustainability versus exporting for CBD? Well, a very small percentage of total hemp grown in China is medicinal. Uh-huh. So you could say the majority is grown for fiber, for textiles, which Mm -hmm. has some domestic and a large Mm -hmm. uh, international demand. But um, with CBD, that's the only legal application in China's cosmetics. And so, and people, again, there's no awareness around it. Right. There's not really a market for it there, Mm -hmm. but just as a foot in the door to to pave the way (laughs) for what could come in the future, it seems a topical uh, use or application of this plant might be more accepted mm-hmm. in the minds of people who are highly skeptical of this plant rather than like taking it orally or right. something like right, that. Right. Right. So, um, okay. Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely a lot of interest in exporting because the, the global trend of 
you know, everyone's freaking out about. And it's already like Chinese herbs around the world are huge. Yeah. So just to well, we add, brought some here. Oh yeah. We actually snorted I some know, when I, we were I here. Heard your podcast. Did you? <laughs> People <laughs> thought that we were doing cocaine on the show. Is that show? what oh they gosh. call Chinese cocaine? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it really. People thought it was like, no, it's this Chinese, it's this ginseng. Trust me, I smelled it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? But it was so these, funny. you know, those little stores where you go, the apothecaries, you go and they can, you can buy it in this beautiful bottle and certain kind of medicinal herbs put together. And, and at our clinical practice, we actually have, um, an acupuncturist who actually has her, she trained in China as an oriental medicine, uh, practitioner there. And so she, uh, recommends Chinese herbs all the time. So I kind of knew all They're about amazing. it anyway. But but I do want to get back to this because I don't think that people really can, and, and certainly some people do, but they don't appreciate how hemp really could potentially change this world. Mm. And and I would love for you to share with our listeners, like what are the things, because I know you were with Rick Trogogen on the hemp road trip. Yeah. You've done a lot of ad, advocacy all over. For hemp, what is it that you feel that hemp can do for the world? But also, what what does the data show us how it could positively impact? There is so much to be said in response to that. Um, basically, replacing paper, plastic, cotton, all these everyday materials we're using that mm-hmm. are have some level of toxicity and hemp is essentially or it can be non-toxic depending on the mm-hmm. processing How methods process. that you use um so i mean hempcrete is yeah. a major one when you look at um the building industry and how do you know yeah. you know about that oh yeah industry. oh yeah yeah so hemp creed actually sequesters carbon yep. rather than emitting it exactly. <laughs> and it makes your environment, you know, it's better for your health. So maybe you're actually saving costs on your health in the long run sure. by so living hemp- in a hemp creed space. Sure. Yeah. So what would that do to you if you lived in a home made out of hemp creed? Um, I am pretty sure that it actually like captures the toxins. So it keeps the space clear. And um, well, if you think about it, hemp, when it grows, it absorbs the uh, it absorbs the toxins in the soil. Right. Yeah. So that's, really that bioaccumulation factor may transfer over to the like hempcrete blocks as well. Um, hmm. I'm not a hempcrete expert per se, but I've heard <laughs> so much about it. I'm just like, okay, like when I have a home, because I'm actually like, I'm just a gypsy. <laughs> she <laughs> I will have a hip, hempcrete dome one day. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> um, yeah. And also just the fact that, um, the temperature control. So in the, in the summer, it stays cool. In the winter, it stays warm. Yep. So it's got, mm-hmm. it, you save on energy costs as well. So mm-hmm. hempcrete is amazing. Concrete um, dust is very toxic to the lungs too, yes, for people who work yes. with it. So, oh, wow. you know, they, have, they will, it's a healthier yeah. product to work with. Yeah. But I think one of the things that we need to look at that we're dealing with in this country, uh, other than the amazing value of what we understand the product can do for people, on a medicinal level, on a uh, uh, construction building level, um, um, economic development farmers. Mm-hmm. But in this country, uh, there's issues with entry points with mm-hmm. people who are entering or who have aspirations to enter the industry. 
And being that it's basically entrepreneurs competing with large companies who could be pharma or could be outside of pharma, like uh, Coca-Cola company, Aquafina, mm-hmm. who's interested in doing hemp water or another product like that. Um, entrepreneurs are really struggling with getting into the industry and sustaining the situation. Because of the capital needed. Because of the capital yeah. needed. Yeah. So what is our approach um, to opening this up or will this become another large capitalistic staple like tobacco was, like cotton was um, in the country where only the large folks will be able to afford and get it, get in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Do you know? I mean, or do Do you you know, do you know, do you know? I know you've been all over the world. (laughs) But Sarah, I mean, that's a huge issue here. So like we just finished working on applications for dispensaries and for some companies who um, will be growing as well. And, and the amount of money just in the application fees is unreal. Like, just, yeah. you know, Jane Doe down the street can't decide to open up a dispensary. She needs probably Serious. millions, yeah. you know, of investment. And and I love your question about that because it's really important for us to remember that, you know, we're trying to have research development around this, but it, we also need to have some kind of equity. Yeah, accessibility. Yeah. It even starts with information. Like when you, Thing. like this industry it's so new and so censored in some ways like on Facebook and stuff you can't mm-hmm. even like mention hemp or it'll get you know we're shocked so, that we haven't gotten uh, kicked off yet yeah because oh, we I post didn't know a, that yeah but, well some companies get kicked off well with some of the stuff that we post on Facebook and Instagram, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Or they, your post just won't show up on anyone's newsfeed. That's the major challenge. You have to get creative. No, them. they'll actually close them down too. Yeah. They, they've been known to do that. And I'm shocked that they haven't, but that's yeah. good. <laughs> um, so the, the, the barrier to even accessing correct information, which I found to be generally exchanged in person at, you know, conferences, different summits, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Those are really valuable. Um, but they're so expensive mm-hmm. and the you see the climb in the prices every year for the tickets of the same event just because people are realizing the economic opportunity and right. so there's this barrier to access there of just getting the to going to these events and getting the basic information is that why hemp road trip was started was it be kind of like a grassroots level because i know you spent how long did you spend six doing? weeks six yeah. weeks um so Rick originally started that's the Rick Hemp Trojan. Yes, Rick Trojan, um, the pres- the vice president of the Hemp Industries Association. So I worked with him for six weeks on a bus, a short bus, going <laughs> all around the country, um, advocating and educating at different hemp events. And, and God bless you for spending that <laughs> time with him on a short bus. It was bus. a riot. He and I would kill each other if we were on a short bus for more than three days oh my together. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, but he actually originally started the hemp road trip to get the laws changed because that's before hemp was even legal. Mm. So since his mission began, it was, um, you know, the needs have changed because the farm bill passed in 2018. I think his first road trip was 2016. And he was, he was, uh, he was following the presidential primaries, trying mm. to advocate with politicians for hemp. So now the road trip we went on this past, um, April, May, early June, was now to target more 
consumers, just gen- yeah. raise awareness, general education around hemp to try to activate the market, de- right. the demand side. What did um, you What did you learn on that trip? Like, obviously, you enter. I know that you guys were in the south. You were all over the world mm-hmm. or world. Listen to me, the yeah. country. So what? And your job was really education and promotion, yeah. and really trying to debunk a lot of myths, right? Right. right. How did you find that people were, were they receptive to this message? Definitely. I was so surprised because we were concentrated primarily in the South because that's the more agricultural part of the country. Mm-hmm. So also trying to reach farmers, but the also change the stigma there because there's a more conservative mindset around oh, yeah. these things. But it was so shocking how receptive and people were already excited about it. We didn't even have to get, well, some people didn't know anything and then just one conversation and they're like, wow. But then I was surprised just by the general positive attitude with the everyday interactions, even at gas stations, people would be chasing us down because they'd see the bus be like, what's that? Like, do you have any samples? Yeah, we'd be like, yeah, we do. So we were handing out like hemp seeds. Oh but God. So what that drove home to me was how purple this plant is. Because, you know, it appeals to the the Democrats, it appeals to the Republicans. It can really bring together both sides. Even last night, I just bumped into someone from Nashville. I used to, I went to school in Nashville, so we were just chatting. And he's like, yeah, you know, I was so surprised. My best friend's mother is a senator in uh, Tennessee, and she loves hemp. And mm. so just here, and she's very conservative as, as well. So just realizing that it's it's this plant has the potential to bring people bring together. people together we, we've called it canna inclusion yes. we created that word uh canna <laughs> inclusion but i do but you bring something up that i think is important randy and i've talked about it and and there's a special place here in the city and we won't call it by its name mm. but you go there and it's people from all different walks of life it's um you sit around and enjoy yourself, but it brings, you know, and you imbibe, but it brings people together from all different backgrounds. So I believe that has a purpose. And and I find that cannabis, and I'm talking about cannabis here, can also really, and even as we talk about sustainability with hemp, this is a very kind of spiritual mm. kind of plant if you will. Totally. You know, and it can help people in so many ways. And when you start saying stuff like that, you I, I can see some people just like they gloss over. They're just like, well, oh they don't God. understand. They're like woo woo stuff. Talk, you know, you're talking you're crazy stuff. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about that. So I'm curious for you. And, and I know we're limited on time. Um, I'm curious for you, like, how do you see cannabis and hemp, those plants, as far as impacting us individually or as groups or countries in a spiritual way, you know, connectivity. Right. And by spiritual, yes. I'm not talking religion. I'm talking about connection. Yes. You know, with others, within ourselves. I know that my best time has been like, I just came back from vacation and I had two weeks and it was incredible. And the first week I just spent, you know, on a beach listening to some Pink Floyd, enjoying cookies and, and really needed to rejuve, rejuvenate. And it gave me so much clarity about a lot of things in my life. Totally. And I'm curious, like, how does that, and, and to you too, Randy, mm-hmm. you know, how does that cannabis and hemp, how do you guys see this playing out as far as spirituality goes? So I definitely see it as spiritual medicine. Mm-hmm. For sure. And a connecting force, a great connecting force. So many spontaneous connections I've made through this plant. And um, it feels very serendipitous and like 
greater forces are at play. Um, it's kind of crazy. It's really well, strong. We met it's over this. incredible. Yeah. So, and well, all three of us have met over this plan. I think, think some people's metaphysical radio station is open due to the usage of the plants um, and spirituality then comes out of that yep. clearly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you get bonds that come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been happening as long as the flower has been in usage. Mm-hmm. I think our main concern um, is it, not only elevating that voice of spirituality, because that's what I think the newcomers into that come into mm-hmm. this see the brilliance of it and mm-hmm. get inspired um, where we have to keep our eye on mm-hmm. and we can't be lost in the spirituality of being on in nirvana um is what's happening on the ground Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh what will happen is while there's plenty of access in a few years for folks who want to be have their hand on it and have it affect their body or build with it or whatever the folks that are profiting from it yeah are going to be the big players in it so what are we doing consciously now to make it available, um, uh, accessible? You don't really hear big business talk about how this is a healing plant. They, you know what they I mean? don't care. They don't care. They don't care. And, and so, and, and that's one of the reasons that we did, we wanted to do this podcast was we felt like it was our obligation from all of our different perspectives to change the community, to change the conversation around cannabis and hemp, to actually see there's a lot of absurdity going on. <laughs> there's a lot of wonderful stuff going on, but we wanted to make sure that the wonderful stuff didn't get lost in the profit margins. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. just real quick, uh, friends of mine in Massachusetts last week had a news story break and I happen to know them because they mm-hmm. were kick-ass cannabis growers when we all came up from the 90s. They got into... Uh, the hemp game got their their license, and uh, a year later they have they've lost their money and they have to get out of the game. Mm. And it happened to make the news. The issue was in Massachusetts, only a certain portion of the entire plant is able to be processed, and the most valuable part of the plant is not able to be processed. What? So they weren't able to turn a full profit and lost their money. And if you think about it also, the way that the laws are written, they can't even claim any of that from a tax purpose right. as deductions that's or right. anything like that. Right. So they got burnt. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So that's something that maybe what we'll do, because I know we're limited on time today. This is a shorter segment for us here at New Hemp Times, but... I would love to have you back on now that you've committed to staying in New York for a little bit. I will be back. Fishing in the vineyard. I know. But the reason is, is, is you seem like, you know, you've only been doing this um, for about a year and a half. And this has been. Well, hemp actually. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. (laughs) I'm a newbie, but I'm so passionate. I dove in head first. So. But, But I think that you bring this excitement and enthusiasm that we're seeing all over. But I also think it's so important for our listeners to, for all of us to be able to make sure that we're on point with this and voting with our dollars for companies who are, who are operating in a way that really are, that they're trying to change the world in a positive place. You know, um, it's important to support 
minority-owned businesses. Yes. It's important to support businesses who want to do well by people and and recognize all no shortcuts, right? No, right. And China, we haven't even talked about what you learned in China very much because there that's a whole other issue that Jay Hodden and I, you know, have a passion about. But but we have this opportunity with this plant to really kind of impact other people. I would like to have you back sometime. Got Don't to. you think? So? Got to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like we could talk forever. Yeah. <laughs> I would trust us. We could. Yeah. Anyway, any last questions or points, Randy? Well, let's 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 have a second episode of this yeah. because um, I feel like we can not only build on some stuff that we brought up today. Yeah. We got some business stuff we could do together yeah. and build oh, some yeah. great things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Want to make great. sure this works out? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Thank you so much, Sophia, for coming on today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So do you want to share your Instagram or not? Um, you don't have to. <laughs> Never it's mind. It's not very hemp centric. It so. doesn't matter. I bet if you ever will. Okay. It, I like to email? watch it. I don't know. Uh, no, no. no, don't worry. <laughs> I love to watch it just because I like to see where the gypsy's going next because she likes to travel. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming Sweet. today. Thank I'm you. Dr. Jan Roberts, and I'm here Farmer with Farmer Randy. Randy. Thank and you so much. Thank, thank you guys you. for listening. Awesome. Have a great day.